Our Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, we just praise you for this day, for this chance that we can come together to worship you, Lord, without fear of reprisals. Lord, we thank you for this chance that we can dive into your word, what your Son has done for us, what your plan is for us, that your word is alive, that it is just so strong and it cuts to us and draws us into you, Lord. I thank you for this family in front of me. I thank you for what they mean to me, Lord, most of all. I thank you for what you mean to all of us. In your name we pray. Amen. Today we're going to be going over John chapter 19, verses 23 through 42. I will read those, and you can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen, and we'll get started. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven into one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple who, whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was a day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things that took place at the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones were broken, and again another scripture said, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly in fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. 
So they took the body of Jesus, bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as it is the burial custom of the Jews. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. The first thing I want to look at is the prophecies that were fulfilled at the cross. And you can divide these into two sections. There was prophecies that were fulfilled unwittingly by people who had no idea what they were doing. They were just doing their ordinary business jobs, and yet they fulfilled God's plan. In Acts 2.23, they called it acts of lawless men. These men were not under the law of Moses. And then also, there's uh, the second division, those who knowingly furthered God's plan. We're going to look at the unknowingly first. In verse 23, it talked about how the Roman soldiers divided his garments and gambled for his tunic. You know, this was something they did all the time. They, it was normal for the Roman soldiers to take the uh, possessions of the condemned criminals and split them up and supplement their income by selling them. So these men did this without a second thought. It's just something they did. But God had a, he had a bigger plan. When Jesus said, I thirst, uh, that also fulfilled uh, a prophecy when they used a hyssop branch, which if you can think back to the first Passover, that is what they used to spread the uh, blood of the sacrificial lamb on the doorposts. Um, it, it just amazes me, all these little details that God has in here. Um, you know, he knew what he was doing. And I learned a new word this week, and I was impressed because Adam didn't know it. <laughs> and I hope I pronounce it right, but y'all probably won't know if I do or don't. It is crurifragrium. Crurifragrium. It points to a simple act of the breaking of the legs of the people on uh, during crucifixion. When uh, the Jewish leaders were talking, and they they asked Pilate to break their legs. This is this is the what they were asking for, and they were wanting that because. Uh, for the nation of Israel, it would defile their nation for the bodies to be uh, hanging on the tree, which is already a cursed act to them, on a, uh, on a Sabbath, and particularly on a Sabbath during Passover. So when they requested it, Pilate agreed and ordered it, and the soldier's intent was to carry it out. In fact, on the two criminals on his sides, they broke their legs, but when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they, they didn't. And that also fulfilled prophecy. Instead, one of them took a spear, thrust it into his side, and um, made sure he was dead. That was, that was their job. I found it, I found it very, 
interesting or very satisfying in a way. Uh, when God created Adam, the first Adam, out of his side, he pulled his bride. And from the last Adam, Jesus outpoured his bride, the church, the blood and the water. The blood signifying the uh, fulfillment of the law and the water, the covenant of the new church, the new tabernacle. And again, that's just God's plan. So here are these uh, men that were unlearned and did not know about all the uh, prophecies and the things pointing towards the Messiah, doing all these things that fulfilled God's plan. Um, and then we're going to come to the one person that was uh, knowingly doing what he knew God wanted to be done, and that's Jesus. While he was on the cross, he did these things, and it said, in verse 28, after this, Jesus known that all was now finished to fulfill the scripture. He said, I thirst. I don't know if this was to really because of a physical need or just because he knew that he needed to do this to uh, continue pointing that he was the Messiah. But Jesus willingly went to the cross to supernaturally fulfill the law, the requirement for blood and an unblemished sacrifice. And on that cross, naked, an image of shame, taking our curse, paying for our release from death, that is the separation from God. These prophecies, each alone, they may seem small and insignificant, but when you place them together, they build an unshakable case that what is written on these pages are true, and that they point to Jesus being the Messiah. And John points that out in verse 35. That he was there, this is what his eyes saw, and this is a first-hand account of what happened. And then Jesus uttered those words, It is finished. When he bowed his head and released his spirit, he freely gave his life. No one took it from him. He tells us he, no one can snatch us from his hand. So how can anybody snatch his life from him? Impossible. It is finished. All these prophecies, these foreshadowings, the innuendos that pointed to this time from Genesis to the cross, they are accomplished. They are fulfilled. The ceremonial law that has been, it has been fulfilled and completed for the first, the last, and only time. When he said it is finished, our justification, our right standing with God, comes from that. When he said it is finished, he's saying, your debt is paid, and that we are made righteous through his death. And when he said it is finished, he also said it is begun, it is beginning, and that the age of grace is here, and the age of the law is over. On your, your bulletins, uh, the next section says, 
something borrowed. Well, when I turned that in, that's where I was heading, and God took me on a left-hand turn here. So you can scratch that out, and you can put this down instead. Making a stand. You know, at this point, Jesus is truly dead. He had, says it gave up his spirit. The Roman soldiers who were trained to know these things were trained to kill people, saw that he was dead. He took a spear to his side, and now he's being prepared for a burial. And that brings in Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. They had asked for Jesus' body from Pilate. They had gathered the necessary supplies, and they were prepared to lay him in a brand-new tomb nearby in the garden. Now, both of these men were upstanding, well-noted, well-looked-upon, influential Jewish leaders. Joseph, being a member of the Sanhedrin, and Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a leading Pharisee. But they both had a secret. They both believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Well, it's not a secret anymore. They stepped out. They stepped up. You know, the whole act of crucifixion was designed to be a discouragement. To see people beaten, mocked, and the, just the pure brutality of being nailed to a cross and left up there to die. Or just to have their legs broken so they could die a little bit quicker. You know, it was all pointed to uh, keeping people from doing the same. And I can imagine that the, the Jewish leaders of Sanhedrin were, were hoping for this. They were wanting people to see Jesus on that cross. They were wanting them people to see what it meant to cross the Jewish leaders. They were wanting him to die, to be pulled down, and to be thrown in uh, the mass grave that they usually just threw him in, which really wasn't even a grave. It was just a huge pile of dead bodies left to rot publicly so that the vultures and the vermin would feast upon it and then hopefully would be forgotten. Well, when Joseph requested the body of Jesus so that he could honor him with a proper burial, I can just imagine how the Sanhedrin felt. Their plans of uh, this total mockery of Jesus was derailed. And then with uh, Nicodemus coming, another uh, religious leader, to come in to personally these two men to uh, prepare his body, to clean it, to wash it, to apply the, the uh, spices and herbs and, and to wrap it in linen, their bodies had to touch this dead body. And that made them ceremonially unclean. Now, if you think back, uh, the Jewish leaders did not go in to see Pilate when they were trying to uh, have Jesus accused and crucified. They stayed out and made Pilate come out to them so they would not be ceremonially unclean. 
they did not want the bodies to stay up on the cross because they wanted to be to the nation to remain ceremonially clean so they could enjoy the feast of the Passover that was coming. And we saw, so we saw they tried their hardest to remain in this, this mode where they could just uh, continue on with life and just not have to deal with, with this unfortunate person. And my question is, is that you? Is that you? I have to ask that of myself too. You know, are we dependent on seeing God and his plan in our lives in terms that we are comfortable, that we can live with? Do you see serving God as a spiritual shape that you just don't really fit into? Or are you ready for a radical change in your life? For God to move you in ways that he sees fit, in ways that you can further his kingdom and glorify his name, and not yourself, and not your comfort. By their actions on that Friday, Joseph and Nicodemus knew that their lives were going to be different. It was never going to be the same for them. They knew that the persecution from the other Jewish leaders were coming. They, they knew that they were probably going to lose uh, some social standing, and maybe even their livelihoods would be um, in jeopardy because of this simple act that they were willing to stand up and take for the one that they believed to be the Messiah. Their self-built foundation of security and their reliance on the Mosaic law crumbled away so that they could build on the foundation on the rock that is Christ Jesus. As a Christian, what foundation are you building on? Is it one that is dependent on what you do, where you go, who you're seen with? Is it ego-inflating exercises that raise you up to sainthood? Or are you also building on God? God's grace, His mercy and love for you. I ask myself, how can the death of Jesus, of this man, be part of the good news? Well, without his death, there would be no gospel. He says, it is finished. Christ's nakedness and shame is for your robes of righteousness. It is finished. The love of a God who knows no bounds in what he would do to redeem you. It is finished. God accomplished through his son Jesus a new beginning. A way that we no longer see a vast separation between him and us. But in a way that we can commune directly with him. As I said earlier today, this is such a beautiful passage. Something I've read many times. But as I was preparing for this moment. Every time I got confused, every time I felt disheartened, 
every time that I thought, I'm going to go up there and just throw up. I reread these passages again and again and again and again. I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm pretty much a goofball. But one thing I am certain of is that God loves me. He has a plan for me. And that the best that I can do is to totally surrender myself my plans for his. Just like he, when God sent his son and put him on that cross, I, I, don't, think that was, I don't think that was really Jesus' plan. In the garden he prayed, take this away from me. Is there another way? Take this away. I really don't want to do this. And then he said, and this is, this is something I go back to myself, not my will, but yours. If Jesus had not followed God's will, God's plan, where would we be today? So I want to challenge you, and I don't, I, it's something I want you to do every day if you can. Take a moment, bow your head, and ask Christ what his plan is for you. What uncomfortable thing do you need to do? Where is he leading you? I don't like that sometimes, God. don't like that at all. But it's not about me. But it's for your glory. If you would bow your heads with me. Our Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you so much for your love, the grace that you have shown us and given us. Lord, I thank you for this time that I could come here and share these words, this message with my, my family. Lord, I pray that you take their hearts, Lord, that you break them, that you rebuild them in your love and your grace and your mercy so they can become something better for you to use, something better to further your will and to glorify you. In your name I pray. Amen.